It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Welcome back to year three, actually. Welcome to year three of American Loser, guys. Uh, if you've been with us from the start, then uh, we want to say thank you very much. If you're new to the show, what we do is uh, we put the spotlight firmly on second place. We're telling weird stories from American history. Uh, it's The show's called American Loser for a reason, guys. I'm your host. My name's KP Burke. I'm a New Jersey stand-up comedian uh, back when comedy still existed. And now all I have is this podcast that I do with my dilf of a dad. How are you, Lawrence Patrick? Oh, we're just doing wonderful, Kev. It's a great day to be alive, right? I hear you. People are going to start to think that you're a robot that I've pre-programmed. I think you start every episode with the same <laughs> That's the same that line? Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we'll have to give you something different then. But uh, yeah, it's great. And year three. I mean, is that why you're in a baby diaper? That you're kind of ringing in the new year? You know it. It's a... <laughs> Oh, man. Throw me under the bus right away. All right. But it is a very fun show here. Uh, so this is going to be one of our uh, Tuesday free episodes. As you guys know, though, at the end of the month, we do do exclusive bonus content over on Patreon. So for just five bucks a month, you can go ahead and get involved with that one. we got some killer topics coming up uh, on the Patreon, but also a killer topic here for you today. And by the way, we are live at a Shared Universe podcast studio, live in our time, probably on delay in yours, because this comes out maybe 96 hours after we record it. But... Uh, Mike and Mink take great care of us. And actually, behind the ones and twos, today, uh, Kahuna has been uh, forced retired. Uh, <laughs> the merciless Ming Chen is here. How are you, boss? Uh, I'm doing great. How are you, everybody? Uh, yeah. Um, wow. Just uh, just, just put down. Just easy. <laughs> had to be put down. Uh, it's uh, it's sad. No, actually, I just saw Kahuna. I was like, hey, uh, I thought you couldn't work today. It was, uh, <laughs> um, and he was with the girl. My friends, so okay. I, yeah. If you would have just told me that, I would have. Uh, yeah, you can use that excuse to get anything out of anything. If you're an easy boss to work with too. Sure. On that, he should have known that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe in love. I'll I'll fight for love, That's and I'll, and I'll give you time <laughs> off for love. But I was like, all right, I get it. I get it. I'll. Uh, yeah, I got. Don't, I, well, don't lie to me about love. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He well, he didn't lie. He just said he wasn't available. So which okay, well. which was true. Um, but yeah, well, I'm up. I was like, I got you, dude. I got you. Don't forget this, but I got you. <laughs> I, there's a part of me that's afraid, too, that he's going to sit there. Because he, he, if you don't know, um, if you don't check out the social media, I'll put it out on there. But uh, good old uh, Kahuna got to hang out with Kevin Smith himself this week uh, for the opening up of uh, movies. And then also uh, the coming announcement of uh, the Black Box Theater, right, that they're putting yeah, over. Yeah, it's called the Smod Castle. Uh, it's going to be cool. Oh yeah, there's there will be live American Loser shows. Everybody. You heard it get from Ming himself, guys. There it is. All right, get ready another. and save Doesn't your money. Better. Yeah, you know, it'll be a ticketed event. Very, uh, I, you know, you charge whatever you want. We have uh, to. I'm sure it'll be a, a very reasonable couple of doubloons or. A, yeah, we'll do it in Confederate gold. If you show up with Confederate gold, <laughs> yeah, then right. it's a discounted entrance. Yeah, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be fun though. Fill those seats and uh, yeah, live American Loser. Can you could you imagine? I'm excited at the possibilities. It's a good time to be over here, man. So yeah, when they sure. ask us why we do it in the studio, there's reasons. There's okay? reasons. There's reasons. <laughs> we like to work within the system. Uh, today's loser did not. That a fair transition, Dad? Well, with that, when, yeah, he kind of tiptoed the border anyhow. 
this guy, uh, his life makes absolutely no sense. So uh, in order to do a little bit of background here, I'm going to set a couple things up and then we're going to get into the man himself. Uh, but in just to start this off on a uh, let's get the opening at bat in here. When you earn the nickname Demolition Dick or Demo Dick, uh, your life is at least going to be mildly interesting. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> so uh, this guy pays off exponentially and in a hurry. But first here with that little bit of background. World War II, absolute chaos. You got uh, spies, codes. Uh, you had planes fighting boats. That had never happened before. This is not Transformers. Okay. Yeah, naval engagements are fought uh, in the air, not not on the seas. I mean, exactly. Naval battles were won because of air power. So it's uh, it's an insane time frame. Now, uh, they'd seen tanks in World War One. They'd seen some automatic weapons. But now those things are absolutely fine-tuned. So iPhone 1 versus iPhone you know, 10 or whatever now, it's things are happening. Yeah. But if uh, World War One is this genesis of the modern world, then World War II is the catapult launch to you know the modern world here. That's when you start seeing things that uh, your grandparents saw in their life. So pretty cool. Uh, there's a familiar idea of Americans going off to Europe to fight the Germans. Uh, the European theater had us all sorts of like cool new technology and stuff going on. But the Pacific was goddamn chaos, man. It was insane. Island hopping campaigns in order to secure airstrips from guerrilla fighters that also had top technology, a navy, and oh yeah, an air force. Again, like you said, that planes getting involved here. It's uh, it's crazy. They're going to have to have a new type of warfare and therefore new types of warriors. So um, there's tension well before the infamous Pearl Harbor, which if you want to know how shot my brain's been this week, I had to ask my father while writing this episode, <laughs> when was Pearl Harbor? <laughs> yeah, kind of lost that date. Whoops. Whoops. You want to go ahead and tell the listeners at home? Yeah, I think maybe December 7th, 1941, mm -hmm. a day that shall live in infamy. I haven't known what day of the week it is, let alone uh, I couldn't recall that when I was embarrassed. But <laughs> Seems every generation has their own day that will live in infamy. I mean, everybody will remember from this generation uh, when 9-11 took place, but you know, to our my parents, your grandparents, um, it would have been uh, December 7th, 1941. Uh, well said on that one. Uh, now, we already had a little bit of tension going on pre-Pearl Harbor, and the U.S. knew at some point shit's going to hit the fan, and we're going to need to be able to combine a uh, the idea of a spy, a scout, a soldier, and uh, into the sort of a hybrid kind of a move, and especially for coastal defense, and in today's story, coastal offense. All right, you guys think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are doing innovative things? These guys were about to invent <laughs> a brand new way of fighting war. So the Army, the Navy, and the Marines uh, create this joint unit training mission kind of a thing. And uh, this is established just nine months after the attack on Pearl Harbor. They are known as the Amphibious Scout Raiders, and they are going to be very important. The Army and Navy personnel get assembled in Little Creek, Virginia. So... People who know a little bit about military history should already know kind of where we're heading with this one. Little Creek, Virginia, if you want to Google it. <laughs> Listeners at home, they're going to figure it out too. But uh, in 1942, they're assembled over there, and they quickly see combat in Operation Torch, which uh, loser devotees will remember Operation Torch as the mission where U.S. General Lloyd Fredendahl, loserception, got his ass beat in Africa by uh, German General Rommel, and uh, things didn't get cracking until he was replaced. Fredendall was replaced by General George Patton, another loser section. Yeah, and that was like the opening kickoff for the Americans into the Second World War. That uh, for the first time, the Americans would get involved in the in the fighting, and uh, things didn't go well for us in Operation Torch. Like you say, uh, they got their ass kicked until uh, 
another ooze reception, Mr. Patton, Mr. Uh, um, General Patton comes on, on in charge and starts kicking some ass himself. He's uh he's able to kick a lot of ass, but this is crazy stuff. We got to be able to move tanks over there, so you have to have beachhead landings on a lot of things. All this being precursors for D-Day, uh, Iwo Jima island hopping campaigns. This coastal thing is going to be very important. So uh, now these amphibious scouts they start getting used right away in coastal invasions and intel gathering in Italy, Normandy, and now the Pacific. So after early successes with the landings. And the start of some issues with the chain of command between the Army and the Navy boys. I don't know if you guys know this at home. They don't get along. Yeah, there's a bit of a rivalry there between the Army and the Navy. Just I'm a allowed bit. to say that. And it's more I, than just a football game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Navy veteran, but I would always root for Army when I watch football because it's officers and no one wants to root for your future boss. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, after uh, the chain of command starts to get beefed up a little bit, uh, the non-Naval personnel, a.k.a. the Army guys, uh, get reassigned. The Navy is now running the show, and what a show it's about to be. Uh, the idea of naval combat demolitions is about to come in here. So, uh, naval combat demolitions, NCDU. We're going to add in now secretive landings, intel gathering, combat ninja type moves, and now let's get to those demolitions involved. And God damn it, we're going to do it underwater, Lawrence Patrick. There you go. We're going to go at you. We're going to become human submarines. Um, yeah. Germans have U-boats. We have U-people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, underwater demo critical in the success of a little thing called D-Day that we mentioned earlier. Absolutely. To uh, investigate the uh, the actual shoreline and the uh, different fortifications that might be there. That You know, intel is a major, major thing here. And you can't get all of that just by, you know, flying a plane overhead to see what's going on. Sometimes you got to have people on the ground to actually visually see that, test the uh, the quality of the sand that you might be trying to pull up on, or what, whatever the case might Maybe, be. Maybe uh, yeah. blow up a couple of uh, things that are designed to entangle our boys on the day of. So right. It's a exactly. Lot of, exactly. Now, it's really cool too because if anyone who is a uh, and I got it right now, it's a Medal of Honor was the video game where you play for the. Office of Strategic Services. Okay. That uh, you get to be a part of D-Day and stuff like that, but you're also doing the World War II, James Bond mission kind of a thing. So, Office of Strategic Services, also known as OSS. Yes, the precursor to the CIA, folks. There you right? go. So before it was a big party with MK Ultra, they were getting a lot of stuff done. <laughs> That's right. So inside baseball for the loyal listeners. Got to beat those Germans and those Japs that, uh, during the Second World War. It's uh well that was what they were there for and they're doing some cool stuff here, uh underwater demo critical on the success of D Day like we said now um all the guys in Europe that are part of these um, naval demolitions teams they start to get uh, removed from the European theater because now Europe's been invaded that was one big beach Normandy was going to be able to get you into pretty much everywhere else you needed to go yeah well we already invaded Sicily and, and well we came mm -hmm. into North Africa and we came into Sicily and now we're um, moving our way inland into the the heartland of the the rhineland yeah so uh that massive effort on d-day uh in which these guys saw a ton of combat and really saved the lives of a lot of people because of uh the sacrifice they're willing to make and the effectiveness of the unit now they get told guys you're going to the pacific it's better weather all right and uh, <laughs> right. there's no big beaches. <laughs> there's no big beaches but there's thousands of little tiny ones you're going to do this all over again on um as we said uh straight up james bond shit at this point You've got bombs, gadgets, guns. It's time for combat divers, okay? It's time for the U.S. Navy frogmen. Uh, I don't know if anybody's heard of them out there. I found this out. I found this fascinating. The first true frogmen, if you will, like combat divers, 
were actually in the Italian Navy. And Italians are able to fight underwater because they already know how to talk with their hands. So it's, <laughs> so you can communicate underwater. Exactly. <laughs> but a mixture of combat divers, demolitions experts, total badasses, and more. This is going to be the U.S. Navy frogmen. This has led us to what we all knew was coming. Yeah, and, and these early frogmen were total badasses, there's no doubt, because oftentimes they would uh, swim underwater to um, enemy-held beaches and the only thing that they were armed with was a knife, a K-bar knife, so that they might be able to cut themselves out of, you know, underwater entanglements mm-hmm. or seaweed and everything else, and also to cut um, the primer cord when they, if they had to blow something up while, the, while you're there, you might as well blow that shit up too. So, um, and then of course, you know, the hand-to-hand, uh, the hand-to-hand stuff. So, I mean, they were they were badass. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you know this. A uh, a Proud former U.S. Navy frogman himself, Jesse the Body Ventura. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's a cast. He has a complicated relationship with um, the spec ops group we're about to talk about, um, <laughs> which that's not today's topic for the loser thing. But uh, unconventional warfare is going to be on the rise. The frogmen are seeing action in World War II. Um, they're also being used with uh, the efforts in the Korean War. And uh, But now... After that, there's you know there's a couple other big engagements here and there, but warfare is starting to go on a smaller scale. So, uh, special warfare is becoming a bigger and bigger term here. Former Navy officer, uh, current president John Fitzgerald Kennedy, uh, always had a deep respect for the special operators, and combined with his knowledge of the increased tensions in Southeast Asia, uh, is there perhaps a country over there where it's going to be? Uh, a pivotal thing that everyone's going to be watching the war at home uh, on the news every night, Dad. That might mm-hmm. be coming up, right? You want to go ahead and say the name of the country? The, the news is in your uh, the news is in your living room, um, thanks to uh, all the news commentators and the cameras and uh, the jungles of Vietnam. So again, we're back in Southeast Asia, um, and we're fighting another jungle war. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting here because uh, Kennedy makes this announcement. I thought this was cool. You're the one who told me this, actually, Dad. That. Uh, Kennedy makes a speech in which he announces his intention to expand and further fund special warfare uh, and the operators within it. So we're going to be putting a little bit more focus on this because this seems to be the wave of the future here. The press doesn't pay much attention to it, though, because what else does he announce in that speech? Uh, we're going to the moon by the end of this uh, by the end of this decade. So this is 1961 um, when he's making uh, when Kennedy is making this speech. Now, we're only in Vietnam at this point really as an advisory role that uh, there are terrorist or guerrilla groups um, coming into um, South Vietnam from North Vietnam trying to overthrow or at least totally disrupt the government of South Vietnam. So, And again, that's a whole communist thing. So it's all part of this whole uh, Red Scare and uh, we got, we got to beat back the communists. We're, we're in the middle of the of the Cold War that was brewing since after the Second World War. So uh, things are getting hot. And then I found it interesting, too, that the first U.S. aircraft ever to be hijacked was in May of 1961. Uh, There was a Puerto Rican-born person uh, by the name of Ortiz who forced at gunpoint a National Airlines plane to fly into Havana, Cuba. And we've had some <laughs> some no shit. little uh, crossings with uh, Cuba in the past. But, of course, Fidel Castro, another communist, is in Cuba. So they fly this plane into Cuba, and he's given asylum. So I think Kennedy starts to see that, 
you know, we're, if we're going to be fighting a war again, it's going to be a lot of, like you said, smaller wars, but it's not going to be anything on the scale of the Second World War. Everybody was afraid that that was going to happen again, but um, there's little flare-ups, if you will, around the globe. And I think uh, Kennedy kind of had enough uh, sense or foresight to say that we better we better have something that is able to take care of things um, on a smaller scale rather than sending in. You want to say it? You know exactly what metaphor we're about to go Well, for. yeah. I mean, I think Kennedy was the one that uh, coined the uh, the idea or, the, or uh, the speech that sometimes you need a scalpel and not a sledgehammer, which I thought was a, a pretty cool uh, – um, pretty good, good way of saying it. That sometimes you don't have to, uh, you know, completely bomb them into oblivion. Into oblivion, but uh, you know, a scalpel will take care of things. Yeah, it's uh, that's exactly what it was. Now, just to be clear here, sometimes people get this wrong. JFK did not create the seals; they were already existing, but he did further fund them and kind of get them to be uh, a little bit closer to what we know them as today. And again. We're still in the background stage of this one, as crazy right. I, as it and is. And again, I think the U.S. is going through, you know, the ebb and flow, the back and forth. The pendulum is swinging one way or another. We just come off the, the Second World War, and there's a, a downsizing of the military. We are going through a Cold War situation, so everybody was like on guard. But in the early '60s, um, you know, we were not really um, building up our military forces, and then with that people start to get complacent. And um, I think Kennedy saw that it was there was flare-ups around the globe, um, whether it was in the Congo or whether it was, uh, you know, in uh, Southeast Asia. Yeah, or, war used to be in one specific spot. Now it's like herpes pops up anywhere. You don't know what to do. It's, it's a flare-up here. It's a flare-up there. That's on my lip this time. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, well, that's a good analogy. <laughs> I do want to set this one thing up here now, though. January 1962, SEAL Teams 1 and 2 have now been established, okay? Team 1 is going to be out in Coronado uh, on the Pacific. Team 2, again, in Little Creek, Virginia. Why do I keep saying that? Oh, because I've been there when I was in the military. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got stationed in I didn't know you were a SEAL. No shit, really? Yep. That's, uh, I have the body <laughs> of one, but uh, yeah. ump dump, so... <laughs> Now, um, I'm lucky. I got to meet a couple of operators. A guy from my ship uh, did go on to uh, uh, join a team. We knew that because uh, he posted his graduation photo, which is one of the most badass things I've ever seen in my life. They literally just blow C4 up in the background of a photo of all them posing. In their... <laughs> That's it, your it, backdrop? Yeah, it's pretty much the cover of Denzel and Man on Fire. That's what they do for their graduation photos. And then he disappeared off of uh, social media because they can't really say what they do. Right, right. But – uh, but well, I can say, but then they'd have to kill you. Well, they have a couple of good quotes, too. Uh, I could tell you, but I have to kill you. Reach out and touch uh, someone. Reach out and touch. That's right. <laughs> and another one I heard was U.S. Navy SEALs when it absolutely positively has to be destroyed overnight. <laughs> there so, you go. Um, but this is the best part here. So SEAL teams one and two, like we said, have now been established. These men are being trained to place bombs underwater. They're learning foreign languages. They're becoming combat experts with all weapons as well as hand-to-hand -hand combat and thought of themselves literally as the perfect weapon. So you're taking their counterpart in the Army because remember, when this thing started, it was a Navy and Army kind of co-joined command, if you will, that they're mixing uh, the best and brightest together to see what we could get out of these guys. So the Army's doing their thing with a group called the Green Berets, and now the Navy has uh, you know, their 
definition of the modern answer to the Green Berets, if you will, in these Navy SEALs. Uh, how do you assemble a crew like that and not expect there to be a guy named Demo Dick hanging out <laughs> That's waiting? That's right. Yeah, and they, they're being trained, as you said, in, in all forms of uh, – but they're also going to jump school. So we can parachute these guys in. We can bring – we can deliver them by land, sea, or air. Anyway, anyway we, you know, that package needs to get there. We'll, we'll make sure that it's going to be delivered on time and uh, blown up on time. Well, they're, uh, they're fascinating too because there's a thing called ORM, which uh, I think um, – well, I know Nick Franco and Stu Greenberg, are, I think they both work in – fields where they would understand what ORM means, but that stands for operational risk management, right? And uh, ORM for the SEALs is said to have been written in blood because we think of them as the total badasses, but you got to figure some stuff out, man, all right? It's like right. we're on the penthouse floor of this building right now, but Mike and Ming had to start on the third floor, figure it all out, and then get up here, right? So they made their adjustments same way that the SEALs are having to make their adjustments because you know what? You got people, first of all, like I said in the opening line of the episode, Planes are fighting boats now. It's it's weird. It's borderline transformer stuff. You got guys jumping out. A diver will jump out of a plane or a helicopter. Helicopters becoming you know a, a more common thing now around this time. And uh, these guys will do first of all a move known as helo casting, which is where you jump out of uh, a helicopter out, into the right water. Into the water. Trippiest thing I ever saw was uh, down in Jacksonville. Uh, I went out surfing with my buddy one morning, and we watched the U.S. Navy rescue swimmers. Just start helo casting out of there, and you're like, I hope that's planned. <laughs> <laughs> right, I hope that's a training session and yeah, not somebody in, in deep trouble. Yeah, otherwise they know about a cramp I'm about to have. So, um, but helo casting's a thing, and then also diving out of planes and then popping your parachute and then landing in the water. Now, sometimes these guys, a lot of times, people were dying during training exercises. People were dying during initial missions here. So it is um, as much fun and as cool as the job sounds. It's not always James Bond getting to land perfectly and then look into the camera and make a pun. And have some good-looking babe walking up onto the beach, too. Well, the seals do pretty well. <laughs> Let me just be honest about that. Um, <laughs> but this thing is uh, its going to attract a certain type of person. And I'll tell you what, Lawrence Patrick, at, uh, at the 21-minute, 33-second mark, we are ready to actually establish today's loser. All the background work has been done, folks. Um uh, like we said, the SEAL teams have been established in 1962, but we're going to go back for a second to 1940. We're born in Lansford, Pennsylvania, a man by the name of Richard Marcinko. His family is going to relocate, by the way, and raise him in, I'll give you one guess, Ming, what state do you think they relocated <laughs> Richard Marcinko to in order to uh, uh, further raise him, if you will? Uh, I don't know. Was this supposed to be obvious? It's, a <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, well, right nearby the studio, actually, in good old New Brunswick, New Jersey. Oh, wow. Okay. There, I should have known that. Okay. There's your Jersey okay. connection. He's a Jersey week. boy. Okay. Ming did look at me terrified. I was like, oh, shit. I thought I set him up for that one. <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, wait, was, it, was this obvious? Did I miss something? Uh, no. I, New I, Jersey, I for of course. <laughs> New Jersey, yes. Of course. Well, good old New Brunswick, so I'm sure uh, if uh, – him and the stress factory. That's the two most famous things out of New Brunswick, I think. But uh, Marcinko does grow up over here. He's not uh, – he doesn't have the makings of uh, a total badass in his early years. He's a high school dropout who literally is rejected from the United States Marine Corps due to not having a diploma. And Marcinko did what anyone who couldn't get into Bergen community does and joins the Navy. Let me tell you from <laughs> personal experience on that one. <laughs> 
Yeah, he didn't graduate from high school, and when he first went to the uh, Marine recruiter trying to sign up with the with the Marines, he, he wasn't uh, accepted because he didn't have that very valuable high school diploma. It's so important. What's a, what's a boy to do? Go see the go to enlist in the Navy and see the world. Well, you know the true story too that I tried joining the Coast Guard first, um, <laughs> and uh, they said, "Have you ever broken any bones?" And I said, "Yeah, I broke my ankle when I was like four, I think." And uh, the recruiter goes, all right, I need the doctor. I need a clear – a doctor has to clear you. I need x-rays currently showing that you're good to go. I need the x-rays from then. I need the doctor who's treated you back then to sign off on it as well. And I was like, oh, I don't even think this guy's practicing anymore. <laughs> so, I'm not even alive by now. Yeah. So I right. walked out there, looked at the list of it, realized the Navy recruiter was next door. And when they asked me if I've ever broken any bones, I just said no. No. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So that's a true story. Uh, now Marcinko's in the military. Now he got into the Navy. He goes in enlisted like I did a, you know, a grunt, if you will, boots on the ground, kind of a guy, uh, serves as a radio man and begins training shortly thereafter with an underwater demolitions team, as we mentioned earlier, the, uh, UDTCs. So, uh, or UDTs at this point rather. And within a few years, this, uh, this man is no high school burnout. He is uh, going to successfully operate within the UDTs, also earn himself an officer's commission. And went from an enlisted schmuck like me to an officer in less than seven years. I was in the military on again, off again for about six years total with my reserve time and everything added in. And uh, for that guy to pull this off and then still operate at the highest level possible with this special warfare community, that's just damn impressive. Right. He's he's uh, not your everyday uh, walk into the door, uh, I want to enlist in the Navy guy. No, not at all. Um and now in 1966, he gets assigned to SEAL Team 2. And this is where the fun kicks up, I would say, a half a dozen notches all at once. In 1967, Richard Dick Marcinko, also known as The Geek, also known as Demo Dick. He hasn't earned these nicknames quite yet. I can't really tell when the nicknames came in for him because he's a mysterious guy as the second half of his story uh, comes in. Um, he's going to lead the men of 2nd Platoon, SEAL Team 2, out of Little Creek, Virginia, to a place called Vietnam. So uh, now we were talking earlier, Dad, that Vietnam, people are seeing it on the news. That's the first time that everyone comes home at night and can see what your neighbors and your cousins or your kids are Yeah, not so, not so much early on, but uh, at this point, things are definitely uh, heating up um, and we're sending in advisors initially um, because the French have already gotten um, their asses kicked um, by the Vietnamese, and uh, but then we weren't going to let that country fall again to the to the communists. So um, America is in there to uh, bolster um, South Vietnam, which was supposedly a democratic <laughs> country, although they were having a new president uh, every six months, kind of a thing, um, with various coups and everything else. But um, yeah, they send in uh, the seals, and the idea was that these seals were going to train some of the some of the locals into becoming their own, you know, uh, seal teams, if you will, or underwater demolition, or whatever the case might be. So, you know, I have a special set of skills, and I'm I'm willing here to yeah to a teach small you. Pl a platoon full of Liam Neesons uh, are now going in, <laughs> right? And they're going to uh, they're going to make an impact right away. His men see a ton of action. They are in uh, regular gunfights and uh, high-risk operations against the NVA, known as the North Vietnamese Army. Uh, 
he actually, I believe Marcinko had um, a hit put out on him by the NVA, did he not? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, the uh, the SEALs were doing such a good job in fighting back the uh, the Viet Cong that uh, that there was um, a bounties placed on their heads. And um, one of the higher bounties was on uh, Richard uh, Marcinko in that uh, if anybody could, you know, Get me the head of Demo Dick. <laughs> right, get me the head of Demo Dick. And there was a very large bounty placed on it. Of course, uh, it was never collected. But, uh, um, you know, they did such a great job that um, um, they were... Um, highly decorated. Highly, de- highly decorated and um, was called the most successful SEAL operation in the Mekong Delta. So, um, Which that, Marcinko led. Which Marcinko yeah. led. And... Uh, there was, uh, you know, he he received many decorations uh, in his military career, um, one of which was uh, um, destroying a whole bunch of sampans and killing large numbers of Viet Cong. You know, it's bad when they, they don't, because the military likes specifics, they like numbers. When they just say a large number, that right. means there's too many to count. <laughs> <That's> um. <laughs> right. Um, or how many were, were dragged out um, before they could actually count them. Um, but uh, he receives the uh, the first of four bronze stars for his initial operations in the Mekong Delta. And there, Mekong Delta was a very strategically important area because it was held by the Viet Cong, so it was under their control. But it was really the breadbasket of uh, South Vietnam so that uh, if you can control the Mekong Delta, um, you're you're going to be you – know, That's it's strategically, it's very important. Well, he's also got a quote, too. Um, Demo Dick uh, is once supposedly quoted as having said, I'm good at war. Even in Vietnam, the system kept me from hunting and killing as many of the enemy as I would have liked. So this guy's seeing all sorts of action, and he's going, ah, I mean, we're not really getting a whole lot done. You know, really, it, it's just a part-time gig till my real thing takes off, you know? <laughs> right. But uh, Marcinko receives many awards and commendations for that, uh, specifically that operation in the Mekong, you said. And the SEALs are kicking some ass, and they're causing some havoc. Uh, more on that a little bit later here. But uh, that's his first go in Vietnam. He has a second deployment in Vietnam, which includes an insane rescue mission of nurses and a school teacher uh, that were uh, kind of caught up in the, the Tet Offensive. That's 68, right? 1968. January of 68, and the Tet Offensive was really a game changer for our uh, our time in Vietnam because that – up until that time, I think um, people were saying, well, yeah, there's a lot of gorillas out in the jungle and we're fighting these guys and we got to go out into the jungle to find them. And it it wasn't anything near uh, the Second World War where you have one army facing another army and you knew who your enemies were. This was this was guerrilla warfare and, and you had to seek out – well, the term was seek and destroy, that you have to find the enemy before you can kill the enemy. Um, but the Tet Offensive – really opened up some eyes because the Tet Offensive, the Vietnamese um, were able to attack various areas throughout the entire country all at the same time. So it was a very closely coordinated and widespread offensive that many cities and villages and and, um, strategic points were attacked all at the same time. and then people started to realize, oh, holy shit, this is more than just a handful of gorillas out in the jungle. Yeah, this, there's an organized – the NVA, from what I understand, was always kind of the uh, – those were the soldierly guys. And then there was the uh, the gorilla types as well. So, right. A uh, lot of stuff going on over here. Marcinko uh, 
he leads that successful rescue operation during the Tet Offensive. I mean, he's in he's in the thick shit of it. And then he also spends another 18 months operating in a country called Cambodia, where we may or may not have ever operated, Dad. Right. I know. According I know. to the president. <laughs> According to uh, President Richard Nixon, we were never in Cambodia. So uh, until that was found out yeah. later that, you know, well, maybe we did kind of walk in there a little bit. So Marcinko then uh, dives in here and uh, finds himself now in command of not no longer just 2nd Platoon. He's now running SEAL Team 2 because when he's back in stateside, they made him the officer in charge because these guys have rotations for deployments. You don't, you don't go away for the entire time. They give you a little bit of a break here and there during your enlistment. Um, I know because I had to explain to some people that during my Navy days, uh, I wasn't just floating out in the ocean the entire time. They kind of thought <laughs> Right, that, so. right. Is that all the Navy does, right? <laughs> Three hots in a cot and you take a little yeah, uh, so boat you live ride. on the boat, right? The <laughs> boat just floats out in the ocean. Yeah, that's so, all. Uh, now, post-Vietnam here, the world is going to see a rise of smaller conflicts. Uh, terror groups and smaller countries are now hotbeds of activities uh, are going to become geopolitical issues. So we've already mentioned a couple of presidents here. JFK, right? We mentioned uh, Richard Nixon. Now, Marcinko is going to be brought in as an advisor for TAT, T-A-T, Terrorist Action Team. So this is when it starts to turn into Tom Clancy Rainbow Six type shit. And it's not the first video game mention that we're going to have on today's episode. Yeah, as to what it might have been based on. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and terrorism right now is definitely on on an uptick. And it's not – but on. Unfortunately, the Americans home on the in the good old U.S. of A. They're kind of you know just being lulled to sleep because a lot of these terrorist incidents were happening any place else in the world other than on our own home shores. Like so George people, Carlin used to say, "But that's over there." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's over there, you know. And that's, they've always had problems over there. So, but as long as it's not in our own backyard, who really gives a shit? That, that well, that's terrible for what's going on with. Uh, uh, um, Israel and uh, and everything else, but um, you know, by '72, uh, one of the things that were kind of a wake up call is the Munich Olympic massacre, where eight Palestinians go in and, and um, um, uh, kill uh, Israeli athletes in the, in the Olympic Village. So you got this worldwide yeah. Olympic thing happening. Uh, we got a U.S. ambassador who was assassinated uh, in the Sudan. Um, there's a council general in Mexico who's kidnapped. Um, um, there's an attack and hijacking at the Rome airport um, where five terrorists pull out weapons and uh, shoot the place up and um, 29 people are killed. Uh, but again, it was like, well, yeah, that w- but that was the Italians, you know, that, that really wasn't home in the, in the United States. Um uh, the ambassador to Cyprus is, is assassinated. Um, there's some domestic uh, terrorism going on in uh, Puerto, with Puerto Rican nationalists bomb Wall Street. So, you know, there's a lot of things happening worldwide that were um, uh, eye openers or should have been should have been a wake up call. But we're still we're still kind of like, well, you know, at this point, Vietnam is over. And anything that smacked of the military since Vietnam was like, forget that. You know, that's a military thing. And the military was definitely being downplayed as much as possible. And and funding for the military was definitely downplayed. So, um, But then we've got uh, things heating up um, in Iran. 
and there's uh, an Iranian hostage crisis that takes place. And, and a botched rescue mission like none other. Yep. So that uh, that's where Marcinko is actually, he's brought on as an advisor originally for TAT, the terrorist action team, and following the debacle of that failed rescue mission, in which we looked pretty foolish. Uh, they made a real mess of things over there. Yeah, world opinion of the U.S. at that point with the hostage, uh, uh, Iranian hostage um, rescue mission <laughs> that never happened was really screwed up. And um, there's a lot of people that feel that that's really what led to um, Jimmy Carter not being reelected because uh, Carter was in office at that particular point in time. And um, world opinion of the U.S. was... <laughs> These guys are just way too soft. That uh, you know, look at they—they they even screwed up a rescue mission against some Iranian students um, to, who took over the embassy. So, well, uh, they weren't going to stand for that one. They—they uh, they go ahead and uh, they give Demo Dick the ball and tell him to run with it. And he goes, "I'm putting a team together." That's right. So, just like a crew movie, you know, Marcinko supposedly names his team. By the way, and not supposedly, he legit names the team SEAL Team Six. So that's it. You want to know about SEAL Team 6? This is the guy right here. This is a crucial part of the history in today's episode. And uh, it's hysterical because the reason he named the team SEAL Team 6 is weird because there's only two other teams at the time, one and two. But Demo Dick, much like the people who think that I'm close friends with Colin Quinn, knows that you don't have to correct your enemies. That's so, right. If you want to believe that, that's mm -hmm. fine. He wanted spies and enemies to think that uh, there were potentially three other additional SEAL teams that nobody knew about. Right. So, And they were so secretive that nobody knows about yeah, it. Because we know about the top secret one, but what about the ultra secret, oh, double yeah, secret right. <laughs> Double probation secret ones. probation. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And really, the uh, it's a... It's a spy versus spy thing, too, because uh, we're definitely still at odds with the Soviet Union. We can't call them Russians yet. We still have to call them Soviet Union at that point. But Back uh, in the USSR. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, they've uh, he's putting together his team now, and assembling his team is outstanding. This is my favorite part of the story, really. Um, he's going to pick the best of the best from within a group of the best of the best. So... He's already been in uh, spec ops, if you will, special operations, that community for majority of his career. And uh, he was already known for routinely disrespecting anyone who got in his way. And uh, the initial full support of his uh, you know, superiors and stuff like that, they're telling him, listen, this is the guy. You got to deal with him. He's a little bit gruff sometimes. Uh, he's got a way of doing things, but he gets his results. Okay. Uh, there's going to be some Jack Bauer uh, comparisons in here. So Demo Dick starts to assemble his team. Uh, of what's going to be known as SEAL Team 6, and he picks from the best of Teams 1 and 2, okay? And if he came in and he saw a guy that he liked, he goes, this guy's with me now, and you just have to deal with it. So imagine a guy coming in there and just plucking your best operators, and boom, you're gone. Uh, the most important quality was that, and this is why they got a reputation early on as drunken cowboys. I'm not exaggerating. That's been written in a bunch. They operate like a bunch of drunken cowboys. That's written in military documents. Yeah, that was some other uh, uh, Navy um, higher-ups that put that handle on them. Mm -hmm. We had uh, stiff, very stiff qualifications for them. I believe they all had to have at least uh, two deployments under their belt and uh, a certain amount of years in already. But part of your interview for the position with SEAL Team 6 was you had to know your shit, you had to know how to handle yourself, and most importantly, you got to be a fun guy to drink with. Demo That's Dick right. Demo Dick and the SEAL boys, right. they like to put a few away. It's like Ming after a con. Just, it's time, all right? It's go time. It's, it's a very exclusive fraternity. Yeah. <laughs> 
But uh, again, with that, that fun interview that they're doing here, Marcinko would get his candidates drunk in order to get a feel for them. There were certain guys that showed up and they were good to go. And it was, you know, they were probably cool um, and, you know, smooth operators, if you will. But eh, we don't really know. He's kind of a straight edge guy. He says he doesn't really drink much. Can we trust this guy? I don't That's know. That's right. So imagine. W.C. Fields said never trust a man who doesn't drink, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh well, Marcinko, I loved getting uh, watching you find that quote too, attributing it to W.C. Fields for those who want to do a Google. Later. I thought it was some really high-end uh, leadership guy. No, W.C. Fields. Well, he, you know, he had some pretty good uh, qualities as well. His other one you said was, uh, "If you can't, uh, uh, you can baffle them with your bullshit," kind of a thing, right? right? So uh, now Marcinko, he's no bullshit. He gets these candidates drunk, and now he's got uh, it's wild territory. The most powerful, yeah, the most powerful military on the planet is behind him. You're getting top tech. You're getting absolute badass dudes. But it's also like, listen, man, we're a little bit rebellious here. We're growing our hair out. We're doing mustaches, maybe. We're enjoying ourselves with the alcohol, maybe a little bit too routinely. So it's essentially if um, Patrick Swayze from Point Break is in charge of uh, right. know, a, an undercover uh, you know, right. spec ops group. So. SEAL Team 6 is rep as drunken cowboys, but they're also very effective. There were uh, mishaps at times, and the SEAL protocols, like I said, are literally written in blood because a lot of shit went wrong for these guys early on. But that's what is part of what makes them such extremely rare warriors. I know where my limit is, right? I can get fired up with stuff, but I knew when I was in the military, you want there's people who you get the, the vibe for. It's a type A personality where you're like, this guy, what can I blow up? What are we doing next? They almost aren't human. So... I know a couple guys that went on to do this. I know I've been in the room with EOD guys, explosive ordnance disposal, and the calmness with which they tell you, "Oh yeah, I got blown up in uh, 2004." And uh, I, no, never mind. I'm sorry, that was two, 2003. I'm sorry, I got <laughs> that right, right, right. Like, dude, come on. The casual nature here is <laughs> yeah. a little ridiculous. And you're talking about Type A personalities. Now you got a team of Type A personalities with. Oh, yeah. The capital A in the lead <laughs> with uh, Marcinko. A little Magnificent Seven type yeah. action here. And one of the points that I wanted to make, too, is that um, although, um, you know, Marcinko was handpicked for this uh, this special unit um, that was going to be put together, um, the guy to task him with that is Vice Admiral James Ace Lyons. And he happened to be the deputy chief of naval operations, and he was the guy that was tasked by the Pentagon to put this team together. And um, Vice Admiral Lyons was also a bit of a uh, different leadership qualities, if you will, too. He, uh, I think the term that I found in the research was he had patent-esque qualities about him that, uh, you know, we're doing it this way, and that's the way we're going to do it. And there's no questions that... You know, he had a different method about him, but he's also got the back of the guy that he's appointing to this with with Marcinko. So, um, you know, that there was a chain of command that these guys were tasked with putting this anti-terrorist group together. And then, um, you know, after that, it was all very secretive, hush-hush as to... How, how the hell are these guys really going to operate and who are they answering to? Well, it turns out they're really not answering to anybody. They were answering to themselves because a lot of these missions that they put together, they derived themselves. Well, uh, in the military, we know uh, that particular behavior to be referred to as OFP, which is known as own fucking program. 
So uh, that's that's literally <laughs> if you were doing your own thing and you couldn't be spoken to, like, oh, never mind him. He's OFP. He's you know OFP. I mean? <laughs> and Marcinko is a rogue and he's doing his thing. Keep your hands off him and he seems to deliver. But uh, he's definitely OFP. Calls his own shots, ignores rank and formalities, and his team typically followed suit because they were drunken cowboys. It was not uncommon for Marcinko to absolutely disrespect his own chain of command. So the people who were above him. Yep. And it was, or if someone else, like an officer, this happened to me in boot camp that I had a senior chief, uh, no, I'm sorry, not a, senior, a lieutenant junior grade in boot camp come get up in my face about someone who wasn't from my chain of command. And I panicked. I got scared shitless. Cause I, am I supposed to know who this guy is? I was brand new in the military. He's screaming in my face, asking how long I've been in the uh, boot camp because I should know the ranks by now. Luckily, I was like three or four days in. It was the only time I got screamed at in all of boot camp. And uh, I thought about that when I was reading this because Marcinko would have told this guy, oh, uh, I'm just doing a, whatever the fuck I want. How about you shove it up your ass, Lieutenant? <laughs> yeah. I'm rich. I'm demo dick, you motherfuckers. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Sorry for all the cursing, Sunquist family. But it's probably just how Marcinko talks. Yeah, we just lost our PG rating. That's <laughs> well, he's definitely OFP and uh, the drunken cowboys thing, but it's working. So from 1980 to 1983, the persona of the U.S. Navy SEALs, specifically SEAL Team 6, is in Marcinko's command style and his vision. But he's ruffling some feathers here because when you tell somebody to eat shit, typically you're going to tell multiple people to eat shit. It, it's a repetitive behavior, okay? And uh, you can you can piss off a couple of people here, but you can't piss off everybody. And uh, also the fact that these guys, the way that they're training and how much gunfighting is going on over here, uh, their annual ammunition budget was larger than the entire budget for the United States Marine Corps' ammo. So the entire Marine Corps, and don't get me wrong, the Marines are badass dudes, but the SEAL Team boys, they're putting in some time at the range. <laughs> so Marcinko, uh, he takes on a new assignment uh, after being forced to step down. Uh, in uh, Not forced, but he relinquishes his command, if you will. Typically, it was supposed to be a two-year tour of duty to run your own team, right? He serves an additional year. That's how good and effective he is, and that's how much backing he has from... Uh, you know, other admirals, just like you said, lions, and then uh, other people in the chain of command that say, this guy's getting us results. We're having, uh, you know, we're turning this program around. And Marcinko's new assignment is interesting. He's going to bring some of his SEALs with him, a couple of them, and uh, they're going to form a group called Red Cell. And this is straight up out of Metal Gear, out of 24, out of Rainbow Six shit. More on that later, by the way. But Red Cell is a special unit selected and commanded by Marcinko that would help test U.S. defense security. That's right. These guys' missions are going to be against us for us. Dad, what are some of the accomplishments of Red Cell? <laughs> well, Red Cell, now, again, this was uh, Vice Admiral Alliance who was appointing um, uh, Marcinko for this. Marcinko then goes out and handpicks uh, some of the best of the some of the best of the best. So the creme de la creme is coming into this new unit that was dun, 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 <laughs> yeah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that was unofficially named the Red Cell, and again these are um, you know their own quarters, their own training area. They were completely separate from everybody else. They were they were their own, um, and that's where I think they started to certainly come away with the whole rogue idea. Um, but uh, he picks. Um, 12 um, of the, from the SEAL teams and then one from the Marine Force uh, recon. So the, the initial startup team is, uh, you know, 14 guys. Marcinko, Marcinko himself, 12 guys from the SEAL team and then one from uh, Marine Force recon. 
And Lyons tells him, you know, we want to know our own weaknesses. You guys have been training to fight terrorism as an anti-terrorist group with SEAL Team 6. Now we want you guys to take what you know and see what our own weaknesses are. So they were charged with going into various uh, naval installations and see if they could be penetrated. And <laughs> The same way that you would test the atom bomb on American soil out in the desert to make sure that it works before you use it in combat. They say, oh, what happens if somebody else has an atom bomb kind of thing? Well, we have a SEAL team. What happens if they have a SEAL team? And uh, Marcinko is going to use Red Cell to show uh, things aren't really uh, as up to speed and top-notch as we hoped they were. Yeah, no, there was um, – this wasn't the only uh, – the Navy weren't the only people that were really doing this. There was also um, a team – that was, you know, if you want to call it similar to uh, Red Cell Team um, and, the, and the Department of Energy, the DOE, they also had uh, the same kind of a, a team that was supposed to go out and evaluate. Um, if you've got a nuclear power plant, it'd be, it'd be nice to know that we've got some kind of security around that nuclear power plant for the Department of Energy. Or an, an army base is the same thing, but, um, you know, Red Cell... Um, with Marcinko definitely took it up a whole bunch of notches that uh, they were able to um, penetrate various uh, facilities, Navy, Navy-owned facilities. But these guys were so amazing that they would actually tell a base commander ahead of time, we're going to attack your base and here's the five-day window that we're going to do it in. So get your shit together, get prepared because this, this is going to happen. And they were so successful with this that they really started pissing off a lot of people because not only were they very successful, um, they also videotaped their successes. So all of their missions against our own Navy bases um, were um, videotaped by former SEALs so that these guys holding the camera can anticipate, well, he's going to climb over that roof. He's going to jump up onto that. He's, you know, so that the, the cameraman's not just some dumb cameraman. He's, he's also knows what the hell to anticipate. Kind of like the cameras in, uh, uh, on the helmets of the guys in aliens, right? So, yeah. Um, so you're, they're able to see what's going on over there following around and they are so damn good. You're right, dad, just to give people an idea of how good they are. That five-day window to attack Ming. If, if we told you, if you hired, uh, you know, American Loser podcast to expose uh, weaknesses at a shared universe, uh, we would tell you within this week we're going to come in and we're going to test out your security. And you're going to say, "All right, cool. I got my cameras all set up. You got your padlocks on the door." And you come in here and you're like, "All right, these guys haven't attacked yet." And all of a sudden you realize that that one Han Solo blaster's gone. And then I send you a picture of me holding it, and you say, "Holy shit! How did you guys pull that off? Didn't you do that last week?" That's a- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're we, good, man. We did come in here and Kahuna was asleep on the couch once. He had no clue we were here. Yeah, so that- that's our security, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, yeah, that explains everything. So, But these guys were badass, man. It was, uh, it was nuts to start reading about some of it, but it is pissing off a lot of commanders because, again, Marcinko's a gruff dude. This is a beer-drinking, wild cowboy, badass, type A personality from New Jersey, right? So yeah. we tend to be a little extra assholes over here. It's just right. we, don't know, we don't know why, but – you can't drive without a middle finger in this state. And um, he's annoying a lot of people, uh, uh, making them look bad, right? Being brutally effective. And apparently it's pissing off a lot of different base commanders. What, but the way that he's doing it, uh, maybe there's some arrogance behind it, but it's also 
it's downright spooky, some of the shit they were able to pull off. Yeah, and it wasn't just to uh, to piss people off. It was really a, a, a training mission to show you guys that, hey, you know what? We didn't do anything extraordinary to get onto your base and do this shit. We were just jumping over fences. We were walking into exits, walking, you know, entering the base via the exit when there was a, a shift change. Uh, we would put a hard hat on and put a clipboard under our arm and, and walk in, uh, walk mm -hmm. in with the rest of the contractors that, or you know, oh, I forgot my badge. Uh, well, you better bring it tomorrow because uh, you know, you know, <laughs> all this kind of shit, or just. Um, uh, using climbing fences, false IDs. Uh, you said they used to sometimes hang out wherever the, the a base bar or something nearby and steal somebody a drunk sailor's ID Absolutely. Color. They would hang out at, at a base bar where they knew there's going to be all kinds of personnel there. And uh, yeah, it'd be, they'd be drinking with the guys, playing darts or whatever, and then steal somebody somebody's ID that they would use that to gain access. Um, they were cutting <laughs> – this was cool. They'd find like a back gate that was um, not secured. The, the back gate would be locked, but there was no sentry post or anything on it. They would cut the lock off, put their own lock back on so that they would use that as their escape, that if we do get caught, we can run out the back gate and snap our lock on their gate and prevent them from, from pursuing us, you know, to chasing after us. Um, they were barricading buildings. They were taking hostages. Um, they were just doing a very mild version of what some of the terrorists were already doing around the world. And, um, you know, that didn't sit too well with base commanders because if, you, if you're told, hey, I just broke into your base yesterday. Oh, that's bullshit. There's no way. I was on that. I was on that gate the whole time. There's no way anybody snuck past me. Yeah, well, remember when you were checking my ID while you were busy checking my ID, three other guys ran past you without you knowing it. Uh, so that kind of thing. But so they have the videotape to prove it. And it was really to be used as a uh, training for them so that, um, you know, they could make corrective measures. Yes. And there were times when they would go back like weeks later and pull the same shit all over again. So the, to, to prove, you know, and, and that was really pissing people off. And the, some of the some of the techniques that they used – to, to show how easy it would be to break into that too. As I said, they're they're kidnapping people. Uh, there was um, the guy who was in charge of base security on a um, uh, weapons depot in uh, or an ammunition depot in California, where they actually kidnapped the guy, took him to a motel, and held him captive for for twenty four hours, tuned him up a little bit. Um, I did like the term mild torture was what I read. Yeah. So hot sauce and torture, both available and mild. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But certainly nothing to what terrorists were already doing around the world to other people. And again, you got to remember, um, and I believe it was in 83, right before the formation of this Red Cell team, we had the uh, Marine barracks in Beirut that was blown up. Um, and 240-some guys were killed. So um, I think Admiral Lyons was very much justified in trying to determine where our weaknesses are around the world. Um, and these guys were flying all over the place. Um, they, um, they were told that Air Force One was off limits. So you could go into various bases, but Air Force One was off limits. They took it upon themselves to say, well, you know what? 
If you're telling me that's off limits, what's what's a rogue warrior going to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to – well, that's a challenge. Um, so they um, broke into that base. They put a um, 500-pound bomb on a military truck, parked it on the airstrip where Ron Reagan would fly into his ranch in California so that if they wanted to, if they truly were terrorists, they could have blown up the truck and taken out um, Air Force One mm-hmm. at the same time. They um, got into a nuclear submarine in Connecticut, the home base of the uh, submarine force. Is that Groton, Connecticut? Groton, the, Connecticut. This was uh, New London, you said? Uh, yeah, they were just, oh, just um, checking out um, what kind of security measures they had at New Groton, Connecticut. And it turned out that there was a railroad track right alongside the pier where a lot of these nuclear submarines were going in and out of. But the railroad had their own security team, the railroad security. Navy personnel on the pier. And so there was a a whole mishmash of things and there was no overlap. So they just um, broke into railroad security, walked up to the uh, naval personnel that was on guard duty that day. Mugged him, you know, the same shit that would have happened on a street streets in any one of our American cities. Mugged him, put on his Dixie cup, his you know, his hat and his jacket, and walked onto the walked onto the nuclear sub. So when you watch this go on on a, a TV show, like again, I'll use Twenty Four that Jack Bauer's able to just walk up to somebody, chop them at the knees, and then snap their neck or something. Uh, these guys aren't snapping the neck, but they are able to infiltrate just about anything. It's uh, unfortunately he's so effective that there's a bunch of changes that were made by this. Red Cell is responsible for the reason why on a lot of base security, uh, it's not going to be just all MPs or master at arms. There's going to be private security companies in charge of this, so they'll hire like they will hire a firm or something to come in. But yeah, well, the ones that really got um, the higher ups within the Navy really pissed off was uh, when they kidnapped the security chief. At Seal Beach, California. He was taken to the motel. Like I said, he was tied up and physically and psychologically abused for 24 hours. Well, this guy then filed a lawsuit against the Navy and the Navy had to settle out of court. So when that shit happens, you know, you're, you're not making friends. I don't, they didn't really give a shit who you're who your admiral was watching your back, but now you're really embarrassing a lot of people. Yep. The and- NVA, uh, terrorist cells all over the world, uh, not really a problem for Marcinko. Uh, American lawyers about to be. Yeah, so. exactly. But after exposing all the failures of uh, some of his superiors, being again on his own program and uh, just being a beer drinker from New Jersey, even some of Marcinko's men, this is how secretive they were with Red Cell. Some of the members of Red Cell are still unsure if the program was legit or if it was just a cover-up for deep, deep-level clearance-type missions, where it was, you think that these are the parameters of the mission. Oh, they know we're coming here today, so that we're actually testing this base of security. Or are we doing some sort of uh, asset seizure? Um, are we? Do they know what country are we operating in? Stuff like that. The program was so deep with the levels of uh, sophistication that a lot of people don't exactly know still to this day what it did. And again, that's why the second half of this guy's life is so interesting, because He's um, he's the pride comes before the fall, right? His hubris is on full display around this point. He is known to berate officers in front of other people, which is anytime that ever happens in the military, if you see two chiefs or two officers fighting in the Navy, whoa, you're not supposed to see that, man. Don't fight in front of the kids, honey. 
<laughs> um, there you go. So, yeah, and like you said, that um, this was a worldwide uh, operation. So, if you're flying into the Philippines to test the uh, the vulnerabilities of the uh, the naval base in the Philippines, because we and, have bases all over the world, that's what everyone always overlooks. That's right. Um, now, if you're going to be flying in there to test out this naval base and see what their security is like, and if you're going over there with eight guys. Uh, eight guys get off the plane, but only five are really in- involved with that naval base operation. Where those other three guys go? Well, maybe, maybe they're checking something else out. That uh, who the hell knows what? I mean, all of this stuff was so uh, deep, deep undercover that uh, um, it was really hard to. Uh, and nobody's take nobody's taking notes, and nobody's doing sign offs. So nope. Uh, again, funding got to be curious here. This is where his downfall is going to come in. That. Uh, when you routinely shit on a rank and profile and you're embarrassing your superiors, Marcinko himself admitted uh, that his biggest detriment to his career was his inability to work with higher-ups, that he was a little bit too uncontrollable. And in 1986, Demo Dick is removed from command of Red Cell and investigated thoroughly uh, for the next two years. Uh, yeah, next five years. but Five years. Yeah. Well, because the, they start coming up with some stuff pretty quickly on him uh but what they're it's almost like uh i'll tell you what i'll finish my thought here all those enemies within the government and within the military that had been gunning for him hard at times uh he seems to have also made it a little bit easy for them uh now in 1986 like we said he gets removed from command over here in 1989 and he's being investigated already at this point after over 30 years of military service Demo Dick uh, retires or is, quote, retired. Yeah, yeah. Um, strongly suggested that retire yeah. now. And previous to that, the guy that set him up um, as the leader of Red Cell, again, Admiral Lyons, he's forced into early retirement in 87. And the term that was applied to that, that um, Admiral Lyons' higher-ups, that was the revenge of the nerds was the, was the quote that I found that, all the, the higher-up pencil pushers were forcing this guy out because he was embarrassing way too many other leaders. Um, so the guy that was watching Marcinko's back is okay. now out too. So, I mean, they're they're going after this guy that, you know, you 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 pissed off too many people in higher positions that you're, you're, you're going to be gone, sir. For anyone who watched uh, The Shield on FX, it's like when uh – Gilfoyle was removed, and uh, Vic Mackey don't have you know nobody was watching his back anymore, so he actually got held accountable for his own stuff. Um, but that's 1989. Now, in a similar way to how they got Al Capone on tax evasion, instead of the murders he would regularly commit almost in the open, <laughs> um, prosecutors and investigators are going after Demo Dick. They finally get him on corruption charges for receiving a kickback for a grenade contract to a company that was started by a former SEAL. They went after him, and uh, finally barely got a, a jury to convict him of conspiracy to defraud the government. The first charge didn't stick. The uh, You said the jury wouldn't acquit him, right, Dad? Yeah, it was, the first trial was a hung jury. Um, but the guy that's really going after uh, Marcinko Hart and Heavy is uh, an admiral, a rear admiral, um, Cathal Irish Flynn, uh, who was the first flag officer from coming from the SEALs. So he's a former SEAL himself. He was in SEAL Team 1 in Vietnam when um, Dick Marcinko was in SEAL Team 2. And he was so pissing people off. He then was too. pissing people off and, you know, catching, catching some, uh, well, at that point, positive, 
positive news or positive uh, rank and advancement and that type of stuff. So, any was there, you know, um, a little conflict there between these two guys? Who the heck knows? But um, Navy Admiral Flynn is now in the Navy uh, NIS, um, not NCIS, right? Uh, not he wasn't. Uh, um, the TV show just yet, but uh, this, it was the forerunner of that. And uh, he's running a criminal investigation against Marcinko and um, Red Cell. It was a five-year investigation at the cost of $10 million a year for a total of 50 mil. So they're doing all kinds of background and everything else trying to find this guy. Um, it, it border, I mean, Marcinko himself refers to it as a witch hunt. A witch hunt, absolutely. And when uh, Navy Admiral uh, brings his findings to the military prosecutor, they refuse to take action. Um, and then NIS takes it to the Justice Department, and the Justice Department um, prosec- prosecutes. Um, there was another guy who was a SEAL himself that was w- involved with uh, Marcinko, a guy by the name of Mason. He's given immunity to testify against Marcinko. Uh, and the long and the short of it is, in the end result, they find him guilty of a $113,000 kickback uh, scam. And uh, that's really what he – Marcinko actually served time. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of you there, Kev. No, but, no uh, you're good. Yeah. Um, it's it's absolutely crazy here because that uh, that kickback thing and then the uh, as we're wrapping up the uh, conspiracy to defraud the government is the charge that winds up sticking. And yeah, just- and what what was what was um, really in a fog too. This this operation was so secretive that nobody really wanted to um, have any kind of lineup with it. Um, so these guys would procure whatever they needed in. Uh, you know, less than uh, chain of command mannerisms that if, hey, you needed uh, you needed scuba gear, well, I know where they store that shit, so we'll we'll take care of that from our own for our own locker. If you say it's for the bride on her wedding day, everybody <laughs> works with you on everything, right? Same way if you said in the military it's for SEAL Team Six, you could just okay, oh, oh okay, cool. Right, you guys right. handle your own thing. Right. I'm not I don't even, up SEAL I don't want to be involved. I don't even want to be anywhere near you guys that I don't know what you're doing. And that was one of the reasons why they were so successful with some of these bases, because they would break into these American bases and trying to um, over, you know, trying to get past their security. But the SEALs came in with their own reputation. You know, their reputation preceded them. These fucking guys are nuts. That if they're holding a gun to my head, I don't know whether that thing is loaded or not. Is this just an exercise, or is this, you know, these guys are so. Um, cowboyed up that uh, they very much well could be having loaded weapons in this, and uh, you know their their mild torture was uh, um, they would strip the guy down in their underwear and then mock out how little his member was. That that was a uh, <laughs> that was a, a humiliating uh, uh, humiliating technique that they. they, they People would would flip. Yeah, we already get enough gay jokes as Navy men. We don't need <laughs> right. any more additional right. things here. And for female personnel, um, they found that one of the biggest ways of flipping a, a female um, was to threaten to cut her hair. That um, if you uh, held her head over the sink and got her hair all wet and then came up behind her and held her hair like you were going to cut it and then just 
make the noise of the scissors as if you were going to ready Jesus. to cut the hair off, they they would flip. So these were all from uh, interviews that uh, uh, Demo Dick had later on. But, uh, you know, things worked without – actually, you didn't have to kill somebody to get them to flip is what, what the point that he was trying to make. Well, uh, it's also interesting because I didn't know about the hair thing until you just said that just now. But uh, like we said – uh, he winds up getting sentenced to 21 months in prison and a $10,000 fine. Marcinko, I believe, later said that that was the easiest uh, deployment he ever had. Right. That just the uh, time he served in jail. He, yeah, he literally looked at, oh, finally, a little me time. This is nice. Um, Demo Dick starts out on his next venture during this time frame. He writes his autobiography in which he claims his sentencing was, again, part of that witch hunt due to the enemies that he made over the years. Now, the man with a bounty on his head, uh, you know, in Vietnam and a decorated American hero uh, in so many ways. He is currently known as a persona non grata in the current SEAL community. Um, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say on anything like this, but it's uh, the rumor I heard. And you went to the Navy SEAL Museum, Dad, and you said there's almost – there's really not much of any not of a mention of Not much is mentioned him. of uh, Demo Dick there. They don't really want much to do with him. And the reason why is because when he gets out, obviously he ruffled some feathers here. When he gets out, uh, he's going to have motivational speaking roles, and this leads to get this one. I'm very excited to give a pop culture reference here for uh, Ming, but um, he winds up as uh, the technical advisor for movies. He goes and he works G.I. Jane, in which uh, Demi Moore has that uh, her getting her head shaved and everything like that. That's crazy. Yeah, that uh, I know where that comes from now. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't cut a woman's hair. Right. <laughs> don't cut any hair. <laughs> well, uh, this one – tickled me a little further too is that he was also the seal uh the advisor for the rock not the rock dwayne the rock johnson the rock with uh nicholas cage and sean connery in which a seal team led by michael bean right invades uh or does a, a you know an incursion if you will to alcatraz so michael bean is a very convincing seal team leader learning from the papa of the you know he right. calls himself the proud papa of uh, seal team six now can you think of any other movies that uh, Michael Bean was in where he played a Navy SEAL, Ming? Uh, well, I believe it's called Navy SEALs. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Navy SEALs. Ooh, Navy SEALs. <laughs> <laughs> a little inside baseball for those who appreciated that. So I like that Michael Bean got to work with a real pro after um, the, the popcorn version of uh, the Charlie Sheen movie. But uh, his other intriguing roles um, include a video game made after his life called Rogue Warrior is considered one of the worst video games of all time. He also advised on season five of 24, which is a fantastic season of the show in which Jack Bauer must stop a red cell type defense contract cabal involving the president. The president has signed off on this. He's letting these guys play fast and loose here. The terrorists final goal, by the way, uh, that they're trying to stop in this season is uh, to take over a submarine, a nuclear submarine import in <laughs> Los Angeles to use as a dirty bomb, something Marcinko and his team actually pulled off in Connecticut when they got the nuclear sub. So literally right out of Red Cell's playbook. Right. He's still writing as an author. He's our first loser that's still alive, by the way. So I'm looking forward to the cease and desist yep. on this one. Um, and we might take uh, take uh, ob objection to calling him a loser with a guy that's won the Silver Star, Legion of Merit, four Bronze Stars, Defense Meritus Service Medal. I mean, it, it just goes on and on with this guy, but... Now, all of a sudden. Yeah, I think he would <laughs> – if I know anything that I sort of know about the guy from the interviews I've heard and everything like that and then knowing the story here, I think he'd probably be a dude that would get along with uh, the vibe of the show. So why is uh, Demo Dick Marcinko a loser? Well, the jail time, for one. 
the idea that he is persona non grata within the current SEAL community of which he is the father. When you don't talk to your dad anymore, some shit went down, okay? Um, we'll figure this out whenever the show blows up and you and me have a beef and it turns into West Coast choppers over here throwing okay. shit at each other. So you're going to have to scratch my face off all the, all the uh, Ooh, photos that we've oof. already taken? Giving away some dirt right there, sir. Uh, um, but it's fantastic to me, his whole story. Um, he literally helped usher in the era of this super warrior, spec ops. The Navy SEALs is because of this. It followed a lot of this guy's vision. Um, and he does not get uh, mentioned in their own history. And again, decorated American war hero, no matter which way you cut it, those the awards are for what he did. So you can say he didn't like the guy, but he did what he did, right. man. Still got the job done. I hear you. Did you have anything uh, in closing here you want? You dug no, up I some- think we, uh, uh, I think we pretty much covered uh, what I wanted to do here. Because he was a fascinating character. Had you ever heard of him beforehand, Ming, or no? Uh, no, no, not, not a word. So I learned something today. Well, I appreciate Thanks, that. Well, thank you for yeah. sitting with us too. I know you could be over at movies hanging out with uh, the A-listers and you're here slumming it with the uh, old mom and pop shop no, not at all. I, I ate my food. I enjoyed it and I came over and I'm, I'm getting some work done. So thank you guys. Well, and- I pre- appreciate you as always, man. Any other things on the way out? I was just going to say that, uh, you know, 60 Minutes did a report on him, an interview with him, and they actually uh, had the camera crew um, with Marcinko going up the uh, the Connecticut River back to that same sub base, <laughs> you know they weren't stopped by any of the naval personnel. I mean, a lot of this stuff he was trying to call attention to our weaknesses, and a lot of shit didn't change. You know, was, the protocols are written in blood. Well, unfortunately, we really don't learn from from uh, exercises like this. We learn from major mistakes, like when the coal gets blown up. Um, you know, why did the coal get blown up? Well, two guys decided to get into a rubber raft and go up to a Navy vessel and, and blow aside in a, in a, a hole in the side of the ship. Um, 9-11, uh, well, that wasn't the first time that terrorists tried to blow up the Twin Towers. I mean, that yep. happened previous. But uh, again, uh, until blood is spilt, we really don't uh, learn too well. Um, so a lot of times you learn th- – you learned the best from mistakes that you made. Um, just because someone uh, there, there was a great joke I heard one time of uh, just because someone shits on you doesn't mean that they're not trying to help you. All right, right. and not everyone who gets you out of shit is there to help you. Right. So he could probably be uh, a little bit uh, more pleasant if he could uh, go back again and maybe learn to be a little bit more of a team player with some of the higher ups. But uh, he is again persona non grata. That's an exact quote I've heard from people within the community, and. Uh, for me, I found this guy fascinating. I was very happy to check him out. I hope you guys enjoyed him too. If you want to jump in over on our Patreon, again, it's just five bucks a month. That's the cost of one large cup of coffee over at Dunkin' Donuts. We'll get you bonus content on this one. We've restructured how we're writing everything, okay? And we're working on stuff. This was a massive success to me, LP. I, I thought this was a, a home run. And uh, We once, kept it under three hours? We did. We did. <laughs> right, we're good. getting better now. It's All uh, right. But uh, thank you so much to Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe. Uh, you guys kick ass. We can't do the show without you. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you specifically to the founding losers who are over on our Patreon. Still a little bit of room to get in there. Once we hit 56, same number as the signers of the Declaration of Independence, there is a little bit of merch coming your way, all right? So if you want to be in on that, you know, maybe that will encourage you guys not to delete pledges or anything like that. And if, I, if we lost you, let me win you back. I guarantee you I'll do it. All right, but uh, my name is K.P. Burke. Uh, I hung out with my Delph of a dad and Ming Chen all day. I had a pretty good goddamn day. And that was uh, Richard Demo Dick Marcinko, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser.
after the day I was born An American loser the day I was born